Happy New Year. Uh, welcome. Uh, first Sunday of 2019. Uh, you thought about that? Uh, uh, Asher looked at me when we started singing the doxology and was like, it's like the ending. What are we? <laughs> right. Uh, we sing that sometimes uh, here at the beginning of the year just to give thanks to God for all things. Right. We always end that way, but it seems like a good way to start our worship in a new year of giving thanks for the year past and what's coming and it's all God's. And so excited about this year and where we're going and, and what that looks like. Uh, the next several months, what we're going to do is we're going to start a new series today on the life of Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus's life chronologically over the next several months. It'll take us up to Easter and actually a couple weeks after Easter. And uh, what we're going to do is, is, is what I hope we're going to do is a couple things as we, as we think about the life of Jesus and we work our way through that. Uh, one, as we read the Gospels, uh, if you're aware, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, which all tell about Jesus's life. Uh, they're written from four different perspectives, four different people writing those. Uh, and when we read through the Gospels, we get stories repeated and we get uh, different things in there. And sometimes as you read through them uh, one after another, sometimes it's hard to get your head around maybe the chronology of what's happening and when and, and where it goes. And so what I hope for us to do is we're going to look at this chronologically through Jesus's ministry uh, that takes place from uh, his public ministry, about 27 AD to 30 AD. It roughly uh, comes out to be about three years. And hopefully it helps clarify some of that, hold all that together for us as we look at that, of who Jesus was and what he was doing. We're talking a lot about uh, some of the background and some of the way people would have heard what he said and, and what that looks like. And so we want to just spend time uh, in the Gospels and who Jesus is and, and what he said and who he claimed to be. Uh, but as we do that, I'm reminded of a, a story, a, a guy named Michael Frost, who's a pastor in Australia, who's helped a lot with planning churches and going all around the world. And I remember him telling a story about going and, and he was meeting with some guys uh, about planning a church and doing this. And, and these guys all lived kind of around the beach and in this community. Uh, a lot of them were surfers. And he said, so he was talking to them about Kelly Slater. Uh, if you don't know who Kelly Slater is, I didn't until I heard him say this. But Kelly Slater apparently is one of the greatest surfers who's ever lived. He's, he's kind of like in basketball, uh, Michael Jordan. Like he's the best. Kelly Slater is the guy when it comes to surfing. And he said, so he was with all these guys who are big surfers. And he said, tell me, uh, what do you guys know about Kelly Slater? And what do you think of him? And he said, they all like lit up. And they started talking about his best tricks and competitions he'd won and the things they'd seen him do and on and on and on. And he said it was incredible. They knew every Thing there was to know about Kelly Slater. He said, and then the next thing he said, tell me why you love Jesus. Tell me about what it's like walking with Jesus and what you think. And he said it was kind of like, kind of quiet and, and hard to tell me about what, you know, what you think about Jesus and where he went and what he said. And they were all kind of like struggling for things to say. And, and his point was sometimes we do that. We get so taken with the things of the world and the things around us, but we say we love Jesus, that he's the very embodiment that God in the flesh and he's come. And sometimes it's hard for us to put our finger on that. And so what Michael Frost says at the, at the end when I heard him talk about that is he, he encouraged uh, believers. And as far as I know, he still does this to read some of the Gospels every day. To spend time with the person of Jesus as you now all of God's word is inspired by God and it all comes through Jesus, the word. And we're going to talk about that, but just spending time walking with him. And so part of my hope is that we would see more clearly kind of the way the gospels hold together and the way they lay out, but also that we would really spend time walking with Jesus daily. And so I just encourage you as we go through the life of Christ, as we go through this series to spend time in the gospels, spend time with the person of Jesus and think about what it would be like walking with him. And so as we jump into this big picture of how we're going to do this, 
is really Jesus' life breaks up into these three years, and sometimes they get these different headings. Uh, maybe you've heard this before at different times, but a lot of times Jesus' first year gets uh, talked as of uh, the year of preparation or the year of obscurity, as he first kind of comes onto the scene and he's teaching and preaching, and he's beginning to do miracles, and people are starting to know who he is. But he's doing it in relative obscurity at the beginning and for that first year. And then the second year is the word gets out about who this guy is and the things he's doing and the incredible things that are happening. He becomes really, really popular. And people start to think that this could be the Messiah and what that could mean for us. And he could lead a revolution and he could do all these things. And so the second year, we often talk about Jesus as the, the year of favor or the year of popularity. And then by the time we get to the third year of his life, or roughly that last year, we often talk about it as the year of opposition. Because of what Jesus says and the way he says it and the things that he pushes people to, and with the authority with which he speaks, people start to turn on him. And quickly they're like, we've got to get rid of this guy because he's going to shake up everything. And so the last year you see is kind of the year of opposition. And so what we're going to do as we walk through the life of Jesus is we're going to spend roughly the month of January on that first year. Uh, then about six weeks after that, we're going to spend on the second year. And then the last section of our series will be on the third year. And so that's kind of how that breaks down chronologically. But today, as we jump in and we begin, we're actually going to start at the very beginning. And when I say the beginning, not just the beginning of Jesus's ministry, but the beginning, the beginning of everything. Because John in John 1 has this prologue that is this soaring picture of who Jesus is. And it's so foundational in what he says in John 1 to everything that will come after in the Gospels. We need to start there. Because if we don't understand what he's saying about who Jesus is, then we're not really understanding the interactions that we see between Jesus and the people that he will interact with throughout the Gospels. And so real simply, what I want us to do with John 1 this morning is we're just going to ask these two questions. First, who is he? Who does John say Jesus is in John 1? 1 to 18. And we're just going to work our way through that and look at like who he is. But then secondly, I want us to ask the question of what does that mean? What does that mean for first century hearers? And it's going to give us some background on what was going on. And, and I want to set the table for you, so to speak, so that as you read through the Gospels, what we talk about about who Jesus is, is kind of in the forefront of your mind all the way through in every one of those interactions. As you read through and you see what Jesus is doing and saying and where he's going and the way he's interacting with people. But then secondly, I, don't, I want us to think what it means for first century hearers, but also what does it mean for us? If what John says is true here in John 1, what does that mean for us? And it's particularly uh, vital as we think about kind of the beginning of the year and we start to think about what's God going to do this year and what does it look like to really stop and consider what John says about who Jesus is. And so let's start with that. Who is he? Begin in John one with me. Let's look at the first five verses. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness had not overcome it. And it's kind of obvious from what we said and talking about the life of Jesus. But just to call your attention, when you read John one, he says in the beginning was the word. And he keeps using this phrase of the word and the word. And he says that over and over. But if you skip down and you look at verse 14, he tells you and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, 
Glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. And so when we take the full context of what he's saying, he defines for us real quickly what he means by the word. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. And so everything he says here in these first few verses, when he says in the beginning was the word, he's talking about who Jesus is. And so I don't want to be I know that's clear if you've been in the church, you've heard that and you know that. But I don't want to skim over that. But John tells us what he's talking about, that the word is Jesus. And so the first thing I want you to see that he says is right there in verse one. And the word was with God and the word was God. Um, I don't know about you, but I've read John a lot. And I probably quote that a lot in the beginning was the word. And I just kind of skim over it real fast. It's when something becomes so familiar that it just you can kind of go over it. But as I was reading John one over and over this week and, and thinking about that and, and reading commentaries and listening to different things, there's something that kind of jumps out on that first verse. It says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And, and, and if you stop and you're just asking questions, right, which is a great habit to get into when you study the Bible, ask questions, write them down. What's not clear? What do I need to uh, investigate further? The first thing that jumps out to me is that John says that Jesus, the word, was with God and he was was and he was God. He with and he is. He, wait a second. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If he's, is he God or was he with God? Which is it? And, and if we really are asking the question, that would come to mind. I think it's there. You say he's with and he is. Now, what we know from the Bible as it gets unfolded and what John begins to tell us and what he teaches throughout the Gospel of John, but in all of Scripture, is that what he's talking about is that Jesus is God. And that's what John is claiming. And so basically he comes out throwing punches from the beginning. John, who was one of the disciples who was with Jesus, who spent his uh, three years day in and day out with Jesus. We're talking about John, the disciple who was with him, the author of this book, comes out and he says, Jesus is God. But he also says he was with God. And I think what he's pointing to is he's touching on is this idea of what we hold very close, very tightly. An important point of what we believe as Christians is that God is triune that he's the Trinity and he's the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. And this is such an important thing of what we believe and who we are and being made in his image and, and what that means for us. Uh, I don't know if you you pay attention to it or you you look that closely, but in your bulletin each week is uh, questions and answers on I think it's like the last page, the New City Catechism. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, New City Catechism is a year long question and answer catechesis, which is question and answer of big doctrinal truths. And in the New City Catechism, it helps define the, the very core doctrinal beliefs. And that's how we put it in there. It's a good thing to read through each week. Uh, it's a great devotional with your kids. It's a good thing to go through with them. Uh, you can get an app for it and go online. It's all free and it's a great way to come at that. But they define things really well from a historic perspective of what we believe in Christianity. And so when the question comes about who is God, the, the answer is there are three persons in the one true and living God. God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. They are in the same substance and equal in power and glory. And what we're getting it just in kind of its uh, embryo form here at the beginning of, of John one, he says, Jesus was with God and is God. That's what he's talking about. Now, this will get fleshed out in a lot of details. We get later into John's gospel, particularly like 13 to 17. Jesus talks a lot about the relationship of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit and how they work together and what that looks like. 
But right here at the beginning, I just want to point out to you that the first thing that John is saying is that Jesus is God and he is part of the triune Godhead of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But then look at the second verse and what he says. He was in the beginning with God. And if you're reading closely and you're thinking about your Bible as a whole, you're going to see that John's actually kind of retelling uh, Genesis chapter one. Uh, very same similar language, right? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was out form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so Genesis 1 begins with there was God. In the beginning, there was God and nothing was created. And then God spoke and things came into creation. And what John says here is he was in the beginning with God. So in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus is God and he's with God and he was there in the beginning. And so John's not only saying that Jesus is God and he's part of the Godhead, the triune Godhead, but that he is eternal, that he has always been, that he was there at the very beginning. And so he's telling us right from the get go that Jesus is God and that he is eternal. But then when you look at verse three, it says all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So there's nothing ever created that was not created through Jesus. Jesus is God. He is eternal and all things are made through him. This is an important distinction when we get to doctrine and what we believe and why we believe it. And I tell you, uh, within the, the Mormon church. Uh, Jehovah's Witness, they believe Jesus is created and he is less than God. And John says that, no, Jesus is God and he is with God and all things were made through him. The Bible is very clear on this, that Jesus has always existed and that all things are made through him. Uh, as Luke read for us at the beginning in Hebrews one, not only does he make all things, but he holds them together by the word of his power. And so John starts with Jesus as God. He is part of the Trinity. He is the creator of all. All things are made through him. And as he's doing that, as you think about follow the logic of what he's saying and the way those set up. If he's God and he's eternal, he's creator. Then the next thing he says in him was life in verse four and the life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Then verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world and he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. I'm going to stop there for just a second. I want you to think about what he's saying. You notice that I that I skip verse six, seven and eight as he starts to talk about there was a man named John. Uh, Just a side note, we'll come back to this next week. But I've read through the Gospel of John with a lot of people, right? This is the Gospel of John. And then in verse six, he starts to talk about a guy named John. They go, ah, John and John, same guy, right? No, it's a different guy. And that always throws people. Whenever we read through the Gospel of John, they're like, wait a second, it's the Gospel of John. It's the same. No, no, no. This is John the Baptist, who's the last of the prophets who will proclaim that Jesus is here. We won't be introduced to John, the author, until later in the book, who is one of Jesus's disciples, one of Jesus's inner circle, who's one of the twelve But he was also one of the guys that always got pulled to the side with Peter and James. Peter, James and John were kind of the inner circle. And that's who wrote this book. But he talks about John the Baptist, the guy who goes before Jesus. Side note, but it can be very confusing, right? Because you say Gospel of John, and he starts talking about John. 
We're going to set John aside. We'll come back to him next week. But he's going to play an important role to turn and point and say, here he is. This is Jesus and he's here. But we'll come back to that. But look at what he says here about Jesus. In him was life and it was life was the light of men. And then he talks about he's the true light, which gives light to everyone. And I want you to think about what it is he's, he's saying here. If, if Jesus is God, he is eternal, he is the creator of all things, then very literally, he is the light by which we see. He created us, he gives us eyes, he gives us the ability to see, to walk in this life, to do all things, to do anything that we do is done because Jesus says so. And so in a very, very real, uh, most real way, Jesus is the light by which we see. But I want you to think about it and try to think about it even deeper than this. The word that John uses for Jesus at the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The word means logos. That's the Greek word. And it is a huge word that is all sorts of meaning that go with it. But when we talk about the, the idea of the logos and what he's saying about who Jesus is. Yes, it means word, but it means something more than that. It means truth. It means the embodiment of truth. It means what reality is. And I want you to think about that for just a second. If Jesus is God who created all things, who's existed from all time, then what better way to describe who he is? That he is truth. That he is ultimate reality. That when he speaks, the things that he says happen. And we start to look and think about what that means. There's an authority that comes with who Jesus is and what he says and what he does. An authority that is unlike anyone else ever. As he steps into the world, he is the light by which we see. And John's trying to get across what that looks like. And I'm struggling with trying to understand just the, the fullness of that. And it's an imperfect example, but as I was thinking about, it's kind of like when uh, uh, a movie comes out and everybody's real excited about it and it becomes real popular. But it's one of those movies that has like a, a twist at the end or it's kind of vague and, and it leaves you hanging and you're not exactly sure all that happened. Right. You ever seen a movie like that and people get real excited about it and they go, well, I think it means this. Right? And they start to give their interpretation. I think they were trying to make a statement on international affairs and this and that or whatever. Right. And people start saying it means this. And then somebody else goes, no, 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 no. I think it means this. And they go through all their different interpretations. Right. And then somebody finally asked the guy who wrote and directed the movie, what did this movie mean? He says, this is what it meant. This is what I was writing and this is what I was trying to get across. And guess what? That ends all the speculation. Right? You, you hear the author tell you what it means. He gives you the reality of what it is. No, this is what I was saying, and this is why I did it, and this is what the symbolism was, and here's why. When Jesus steps onto the earth as the Logos, truth embodied, what he says is how things are. The author has now entered the story. The authority has now stepped in. The light has now come into the darkness, and this is how it is. And John's trying to get that across when he's saying he is the light. He is the true light, which gives light to everyone. And he was coming into the world. I think you could meditate on that verse. For years and not get your head around the fullness of what he just said. That the creator God of the universe that holds us in existence by his word is now here. 
The light by which we see is now walking among us. And he chooses that word, the logos. He's here. The embodiment of all truth. The ultimate reality has now stepped in. And we now can see God. We haven't seen him before in this way. We now see him in humanity. And what he says and what he does and the way he moves and the way he interacts is seeing the perfection of what humanity was made to be. And we see that in Jesus. He is literally the light that shows us. And you think about what John's trying to get across here. That's why he starts with he's God and he's eternal and he created all things. And so do you see that that means that he is the light? He is the light by which we move and live and have our being. And so we have God as eternal. He is God. He is eternal. He is creator, but he's also the truth. He is the ultimate reality of how things are. But the last thing I want you to see that he says here, and this is important as we look at it. Look at verse uh, 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were not born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, but of God. And so the, the last thing I want you to see here is John saying of who God is. He's not or who Jesus is. He's not only God and he's not only eternal and he's not only creator and he's not only the light, but he has come to save. He has come to bring people back to be his children. To be adopted in by what he does. You go, wait a second, where does it say that? By what he does. Look closely at what it says there. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And they reject him. It says, but to all who did not, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do you become a children of God? You put your faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's exactly what it says, because it says they weren't born of blood or the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. God does a work to bring us into this relationship that we can be called children of God. And that is what Jesus has come to do. And so not only is he God, is he eternal, is he creator, is he the truth, but he is the savior, the savior who has come that we can be called children of God. And John starts this way with this image of who Jesus is and what that looks like. And I want you to think about what good news that is. If it's just the logos that comes and tells you how things are. And this is what true and you have rebelled and you are walking in the darkness. And you've decided not to uh, define yourself by who your creator is, but something else. If he's just the truth and he comes and he just shows you the truth and there's nothing else, we would all be condemned. We would all stand condemned. But he didn't just come that way. He came as the savior to bring us back. He came as the light to show us what it looks like. He came that we could be called children of God by what he does, by believing in him. And so he didn't come just to show us the way, but he came to be the way. Which, by the way, he'll say, I am the way, the truth and the life. Which, by the way, you'll see in Acts, they'll say, they'll be known, the early church, as the way. Because the truth has come and has shown us what the way is. And he calls himself the way and he says, go and tell. They go, this is the way. Which makes perfect sense of Jesus as the Logos. And so here's the second part I want us to think about. If he's God, he's eternal, he's creator, he's the light, he is the savior. 
but he comes in. What does that mean for his hearers in the first century as Jesus comes? He comes as the Messiah, the long awaited one. You see John saying that, right? He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. When he says he came to his own, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the Jewish heritage. Uh, if you were with us in our series uh, for Christmas, we started with the, the genealogy of who Jesus is and what he came to do. It begins all the way back at the beginning with Abraham. And I'm going to bless the world through your seed, Abraham and David and all the way down on through. And we see all these uh, promises to this line of people that come from Abraham, the Jewish people, Israel. And he's been making this promise that he's going to come. But the promise has always been, I'm going to bring this one through your seed to bless the world. And so Jesus comes in and he comes to his people first. The ones that are awaiting the promise that is, as Paul says in Romans, have the oracles of God and they know the story and they've long been waiting. And the Messiah is now here. But here's the problem as he comes. Right? They had these uh, prophecies. He's going to come and he's going to be the one and he's going to be the Messiah and he's going to be a great king like David. And he's going to rule and he's going to reign and the government is going to rest on his shoulders. And it's going to be all these things. And they're so excited about how great he is. And they have this idea of what he's going to look like. And it's this thing right here. Right? He's going to be the king. And he's going to give us rest. And the government's going to rest on his shoulders. And they were thinking, but the problem is, he's not just the king. And he's not just a man. And he's not going to fit in this box. Because he is the reality of which all reality is defined. He's the Logos. He's not just a man. He's God himself stepping into his own creation and he explodes every category that they ever had. And I want you to think about what happens when Jesus starts to preach and teach and talk and the things he says. You know, it says in the Gospels over and over. He didn't talk like the other teachers. He talked with one who had authority. And what John is saying is the reason that he had authority is because he has eternally existed and he's God and all things were made through him. And when he speaks, that is what is true. And you know what happens when sinful people come up against that? We don't like it. I don't like somebody telling me how it is. But Jesus is the one that can tell us how it is because he is the Logos. And he steps in and he begins to do that. And I want you to have that in the forefront of your mind as we read through and we look at his life and you read through the Gospels, that this is the God of the universe speaking. So John says he's the light. He shines in the darkness. He tells us how it is. This is what is true. And guess what happens is people get upset. They get their toes stepped on. Who are you to tell me? You're just a carpenter from Nazareth. And he says, Things that blow their categories out of the water. But the problem is and what they struggle with and what they're seeing is everything he does and the way he acts backs it up. And they don't know what to do with him. And so he has a, a year of favor that people get really excited. But then he keeps stepping on their toes and he keeps redefining and he keeps telling them how it is. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 enough of that. Getting a little too personal, Jesus. Step back a little bit and then suddenly it turns and you see that straight through the Gospels as Jesus comes and he begins to speak and he talks about his kingdom. And they think, great, he's going to overthrow Rome and he's going to do this thing and it's going to be wonderful for us. 
And then it's like, no, 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 my kingdom is the cosmos. It's all things. It's all mine. I've come for all of it, not just this. And they're all like, wait a second, that doesn't compute. He says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. It's like, great. Lower taxes, have a nicer house, have food to eat. It's like, no, 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 I came to be the very desire of your soul that I created you to be. It's not just that. I'm coming for something way more than that. And they're like, wow. They don't know how to handle it. And you see this happen over and over as he begins to say it. He says things like, I am the truth and I am the way and I am the life. Because he is. But what happens and what you'll see throughout the Gospels as we follow his life is that the people that get close enough to see and they actually listen and there's some humility in it. If you can put yourself aside for just a second. So Jesus says it has to be like a child that would enter into his kingdom. And some humility and they begin to see the light up close and all of a sudden it starts to dawn on them. He's really here. And it's not just a man. It's not just a religious leader. It is the creator of my soul. Coming for what I was made to be. And it's not just that. And those categories explode. And it's exactly what you see, the resurrection. And as the gospel goes out, the end of his life, as you see all of this come together. It's exactly what John says it is. But you see the problem, right? As Jesus steps in and says things like John chapter 8, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Can you imagine hearing this? He's saying this to the Jewish leaders. Abraham, that lived 2,000 years before, rejoiced to see my day. And they're all like, what? He said he saw it and he was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You understand what he just said? I am the God of the universe that has always existed. Of course I know who Abraham is. And they all go, what? And they're ready to kill him. I'm not picking on him. Knowing my heart and the way I am, I probably would have been one of the ones going, well, just wait a second, Jesus. Let me tell you the doctrine of what the Old Testament says, and I don't think you've got it quite right. And you can understand why they were struggling with that. But I want you to think as you read through the Gospels, if this is who Jesus is, what those interactions were like. And what was going on and what was happening in all of that. But then I also want us just for a moment as we end, think about what it means for us today. If what John says is true, that Jesus is God, that he's eternal, that he's creator. He's the light of the world by which we see he's the God who came to save. What does that mean for us? And it means a lot of the same things that they were struggling with in the early days as they were actually coming face to face with Jesus. We struggle with authority. The sinfulness of our heart struggles with it. And so what we do a lot of times, we live in a place and a time in the south and in Georgia and where we are, we still live uh, still kind of in the Bible Belt. Still a real thing. Still a lot of social Christianity. Oh, sure, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe Jesus. I believe the Bible. But the truth is what we do a lot of times is we pick and choose. We take what we like 
and we leave the other parts out and we highlight the other the things that we're good with. And we downplay the parts that seem hard or, or better yet, we find a way to explain them away. Well, that's not really what he meant. Right? We're good at doing that. Jesus didn't really mean give your stuff away to the poor. Right? I might get my toes stepped on. So I'm going to say, well, he meant it was just a heart thing. It was just spiritual. And we start to kind of reimagine a lot of things. And what we end up doing a lot of times is we take Jesus and we domesticate him. We make him more palatable. I'll take this part and this part because I like it. And I'll just pretend like that part he didn't really say. And when we do that, we're not really believing he's the logos. That he is the reality of how it is because he's the creator. Because he made you and he knows you from every fiber of your being because he knit you together perfectly in your mother's womb. Think of Ashley with her babies. How cool that is. He's knitting them together perfectly. He knows every part of who they are. How awesome that is. And that's the God who's come into existence. And so the truth is, when we start to think about it, I just push you to think about, do we really believe this is who Jesus is? That he's God, that he's eternal, that he's the creator, that he's the light, that he's the savior. Because if he is, when we come into contact with him, it would radically change the way we operate. C.S. Lewis, Lewis famously said, the lunatic liar, or Lord, you maybe have heard that argument. He said Jesus was either stark raving mad because he claimed to be God because he said things like before Abraham was, I am. I know what Abraham thinks existed before him. Who says that? C.S. Lewis said he's either crazy or he's a con man who's a liar. And he said, if he's crazy or if he's a liar, then don't worry about what he said. But if he's who he says he is and who John says he is, then that means he's Lord. And there's no way to domesticate him or take part of what he says and leave out part of what he says. You take all of it. And so I would encourage you as we as we think about Jesus and we think about the life of Jesus. And as we seek to follow him, if you claim to be a Christian, nothing else makes sense but to take all of it. To look at him as Lord. But if you're here today and you go, I'm not sure who he is. That's great. I'm glad you're here. If you go, I'm not exactly sure that I'm fully on board that Jesus is who you're saying he is, that he's God and he's eternal and that he's the logos, that he is truth. You're still investigating what that looks like. But I tell you what he's going to do as we walk through his life. And if that's you, if you're here today and you have those questions, I'm glad you're here. You're welcome to be here. Your questions are welcomed. I'm ecstatic that you would come and sit and listen and, and investigate. And if that's you, but what I would say to you is what you're going to find as you walk your way through the Gospels is this. That Jesus is going to push you into a corner. And you're going to have to decide he's either stark raving mad or he is the creator God of the universe. He doesn't let you sit on the fence. He doesn't leave you with, I'm a good teacher and you can take some of my sayings and maybe you can apply some of this to your life or not. He's either who he says he is or he's not. And he's going to push you into that, that division of where it comes out. And to really spend time with Jesus will lead you to that. And so I would just pray that you'd give him a fair hearing and see the things that he says and really wrestle with the context in which he says them and what he's looking at. Uh, Jesus, I heard a guy say the other day, he's not a Christian. 
uh, talk about the idea of logos, truth embodiment. And he said, what I do know and what he was saying is I'm not sure who Jesus is. He's an agnostic. I'm not a Christian, but I'm investigating it. And the person was asking him, well, why? Why spend time? Why are you investigating? And he said, because what he did when he stepped into the world is he propelled us forward by thousands of years. And he's talking about his teaching and what he said and the way he did it. And he said, I don't have a category for it. He said, so the idea that he is the Logos makes sense to me and I need to investigate that further. I thought that was so cool. He's wrestling with his teaching and what he said and going, whoa, there is something here. And so that is my desire that as we walk through, we grow in our understanding and our love for Jesus. But if you're on that fence, that you would really investigate who Jesus is and that he would be glorified in all of this. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious truth of who you are. I thank you that you are creator of all things, that you hold us in existence, that you love us. But I thank you that you are also savior who comes to us to do what we could never do for us. And so we pray that as we spend time uh, over the next several months walking with you and hearing you speak and seeing your life, that you would impress upon us afresh the glory of who you are. I pray that you would continue to conform us to your image. I thank you that you promise us that you're going to finish the work that you've begun in us and that we can rest in that. So we thank you for that glorious truth. I pray that that would uh, rinse over us today as we begin a new year. If we make new resolutions and things we want to see that you are going to finish the work that you began. And we thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.